There's been an age-old debate as to whether marijuana use is actually addictive or even harmful. And the fact that some of these United States have now legalized it has given many, including our kids, fodder for thinking that the reported dangers related to the use of marijuana are nothing more than myths. So today, a look at the science behind the question, is marijuana use something that parents should be all that concerned about anymore? And while we're mulling that one over, what concern should we have about a country that now finds altered states of consciousness more of a recreation to be enjoyed than a culturally debilitating vice to be avoided? Keeping our families from going to pot. That's today on Licensed to Parent. Well, Trace, I might normally tell our listeners at this point to sit back, relax, and enjoy another half hour of conversation about parenting, but I'm a little concerned that they might relax too much in the context of today's conversation. Welcome, though, uh, to our broadcast, which is coming to you from Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program that helps teens in crisis and, by extension, their families as well. Our host on License to Parent is Trace Embry, founder and director of Shepherds Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. And Trace, boy, back when I was a teen, marijuana was always viewed as a taboo, mm-hmm. something I guess, reserved for the rebellious. I remember a boy in my seventh grade class getting expelled from school for having marijuana on campus. And, you know, the thought that it would ever lose that stigma or even be legalized would have been laughable, certainly back then. Well, we've come a long way, haven't we, Rich? Uh, You know, and depending on which side of the issue you're on, uh, that will depend on whether that long way was in a good direction or a bad one. I think everyone knows what side we're on, but but pot, like a lot of things today, uh, has, as you just said, Rich, lost its stigma, even though it's supposed to be a whole lot stronger now than it was when the hippies were token up. Uh, and though I'm certainly concerned about the, the, the physical and the psychological effects of marijuana on humans, I, I'm even more concerned about the spiritual effects that I believe um, to be at the root of all mind-altering drugs and to uh, be at the root of all our problems we now have in America. Well, I think today's guest is going to be able to shed some light on this subject, and he's a returning guest to Licensed to Parent. Dr. Carl Benzio, MD, is a Christian psychiatrist, a writer, an expert, and conference speaker on behavioral health issues and how they impact families and individuals, as well as society and social policy issues. Dr. Benzio received his uh, BSE in biomedical engineering with a focus in central nervous system imaging from Duke University. He got his MD from Rutgers New Jersey Medical School and completed his psychiatric residency at UC Irvine. His expertise is decision-making sciences and its application specifically to behavioral health and generally to all of life. Now, Dr. Benzio has had the opportunity to testify in front of a number of government agencies, including the United States Congress and the President's Bioethics Committee. He serves a number of organizations and agencies, including the uh, Focus on the Family Physician Resource Council, and as a founder and director of Lighthouse Network, which is a national nonprofit ministry that develops faith-based behavioral health resources and connects struggling people to faith-based addiction and mental health treatment options. Carl and his wife, Martine, have been married for 24 years, and they have three daughters. And, of course, that is the stamp of approval to get a guest on Licensed to Parent. (laughs) (laughs) Carl, welcome uh, back to the Licensed to Parent broadcast, brother. Hey, always great to be with you guys. Thanks. Carl, you're you're an expert in addiction. Uh, There seems to be this 
constant debate about whether marijuana is actually addictive or not, uh, which I can't really understand. But first, can you describe what constitutes addiction? Yeah, addiction is, you know, real simple definition is when you continually to do something, uh, even though there's consequences and significant harm. Mm -hmm. So it's a person usually starts to just experiment. Uh, yeah, I'm going to try it once or twice. Mm -hmm. um, usually no specific agenda. Uh, then they usually use it with friends, uh, sort of what we call recreational. Uh, but the real dangerous stage is that circumstantial use. When a person starts to engage in that behavior or use that substance to get something out of it, whether it's to stay up later, uh, whether it's to uh, use a stimulant to concentrate more, whether it's to use caffeine to have more energy in the morning and to wake up, mm -hmm. or whether it's alcohol or marijuana to escape reality. Uh, you know, an addiction never comes out of the blue. An addiction is never the primary problem. I mean, I was just dealing with a 57-year-old man who never had an addiction issue in his life, uh, but he lost his son to a car accident mm -hmm. um, about a year and a half ago. Um, and he was put on then pain meds for another issue about six months later, but was in a significant depression after losing his son. And he saw the sort of emotional anesthetic that the pain med was for him and it dulled some of that pain of losing his son. And he became a significant Oxycontin addict in just about a seven month period. And so, uh, you know, there's these under, you know, we've all been through trials and tribulations and difficulties. Uh, we've all sinned. We've wounded others. We've been wounded ourselves. And I think that an addiction, you know, bubbles up from whenever we've had struggles or difficulties um, allowing God in and getting the true spiritual and psychological healing that God provides through the Holy Spirit and through applying His biblical principles into our lives, then we become a significant setup for, you know, the things that the world will provide um, yeah. and and say, hey, look over here. Here's something for your pain. Here's something for your sorrow. Here's something for your sure. loneliness. And we get sort of stuck into uh, those situations. And what's so dangerous about substances is it can give such a, an acute relief uh, in a situation. And that's what pornography, that's what sex does, is yeah. that acute relief and, and stimulation and, and high from it that it's just so enticing for people that, uh, that sometimes find an escape from a pain that maybe they hadn't found before. Um, and Satan says, hey, you can come here as, as often as you want, uh, yep. but tell it's a lie that it's, you know, it's harmless uh, yeah. to do it. In fact, you might even grow uh, and be a better person if you use it, and we, yeah. and we all know that's an incredible lie. Yeah. Shortcuts. Mm -hmm. And so just to set the record straight, you're the expert, and, uh, and there is a, a debate. Is marijuana an addictive substance? You know, I believe marijuana is an addictive substance. You know, whenever we look at uh, people that go to rehab, and I've run different rehab programs, uh, whenever they get off the marijuana, we see a number of people really significantly struggle with some physiological anxiety, agitation, concentration, memory issues, uh, as well as sometimes increased heart rate, difficulty sleeping, and just a, a psychological distress, you know, very similar to other withdrawals from whether it's heroin, stimulants, alcohol, not the same exact symptoms, but that um, very uncomfortable, distressed, physiological, psychological uh, struggle in those first couple weeks whenever they're trying to live life without marijuana and allowing it to detox out of their system. Do you consider addiction just a clinical term for what Scripture has already called idolatry? Oh, most definitely. You know, I believe we're all addicts. 
uh, we're all addicted to comfort. A hundred percent of us are addicted to comfort. If you look at the things we do in our daily activity and our, and our routine, it's all to get comfort. Yeah. A lot of them are good things. You know, I go to my job so that I can make money so that I can make my kids and wife comfortable with our house and food and, uh, transportation. So they don't have to walk a zillion miles. Um, and we certainly have very dysfunctional things that we pursue, you know, to, to get our comfort. Um, but the Bible is real clear, you know, in the first and second commandment, uh, you know, telling us what, uh, you know, should have no other gods. Right. And we should have no other idols to depend on or to look at or to worship. And, you know, these, whether they behaviors like pornography or spending or gambling, or whether they be overt substances, they truly are idols. And we're looking to them to meet a need. So my, mm-hmm. my definition of addiction is whenever we look to something other than God in a repetitive, yeah. habitual way to get our needs met. Yeah, and you, you speak of comfort. You know, Jesus spoke of rest, which is you know, close to the same thing. He says, you know, find your rest in me. Find your comfort in me. And I think when we find our, our rest and comfort and contentment in anything other than God, um, then we've made a God out of that. And uh, not that God hasn't given us a million and one things to enjoy in life, uh, but he, mm-hmm. he he wants to be preeminent among those million and one things. You know, I've heard many kids argue uh, this. Uh, well, you know, uh, when we're talking about marijuana, uh, the, the same thing can be said about food or sex or, as you said, caffeine. Uh, so just because something is addictive doesn't make it evil in and of itself. How should parents respond to that objection by their kids? They say, hey, you know, that's great that you're thinking about these situations and trying to understand them better and trying to conceptualize, you know, where they fit in in life. Um, you know, and that's, that's awesome. We, we certainly want our kids to be thoughtful in how and why they do things. Um, you know, for me, it really comes down to, you know, what's the motivation um, that I'm pursuing something and what benefits am I getting out of that? You know, so certain things like food have certainly become an addiction and a dysfunctional object and, you know, especially in our American society, you know, there's many people that are overweight that are continuing to eat significantly and continuing to bring harm on themselves, whether it's diabetes, blood pressure, heart disease. Um, but whenever we're going to something other than God to get our needs met, uh, you know, it, it separates us from God. You know, so there's that spiritual separation temporally where the Holy Spirit's not on the throne of our, of our heart and the flesh is. Whenever we go to something else other than God, um, we're giving into uh, poor self-control, yeah. poor self-discipline, right. um, not able to delay gratification. And that psychologically makes us more immature. And then we have overt substances, which are going to weaken, injure, contaminate, short-circuit our brain chemistry. So our ability to make further decisions is going to be compromised as well. Mm-hmm. It's just given us a brain damage. You know, there's this, especially with marijuana, significant controversy as to you know, is medical marijuana worthwhile? Uh, we have almost 25 states now, about half have approved medical marijuana. Now, in medical marijuana, they've taken out the THC, the psychoactive substance, to make medical marijuana. So it is safer without the psychoactive or addicting elements to it. Do they actually smoke that, it? We still have in, a lot of research to go. In, in medical, it, excuse me, but in, in medical marijuana, do they actually smoke it or do they ingest it? They, they're usually ingesting it, and that's one of the difficulties is, well, what's, that, what's the dose 
you know, so it's really not that well regulated, uh-huh. you know, at this point. So even though it, it has potential benefits, I think we still need to do a lot more research and refining of that process, you know, but even with the possibility of benefits, the downside seems still pretty dramatic uh-huh. that with my own brain and my own life and with other people that, you know, I'm in charge of, I don't really want them to engage in something that's significantly harming spiritually, psychologically, and physiologically without significant data that says, wow, this is beneficial. You know, even with food, we're still on guard for food as to, you know, is that enough? Is that the right amount? Is that the right balance? We don't want it to be, A, harmful to us, or B, become an addiction that is getting our needs met, whether loneliness, frustration, anger, sadness, and so many people look to food you know, to see that. I know for me, you know, I, uh, when I'm watching a game and I'm excited and I'm, and I want to be comforted, I, you know, I want a snack there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very, it's an active process I need to go through because of growing up in an Italian house and, you know, <laughs> having food associated with, uh, you know, excitement or soothing, you know, that's a significant battle for me on a regular basis to fight that, the battle of the bulge or that, um, you know, what am I really using for? Is it, you know, using it as God's blessing in my life as a, as a gift uh, to nourish me? Or am I really using it as a psychological outlet and soothing mechanism that's really not healthy for me at all? Yeah, yeah. and there's a difference between substance and sustenance. And, of course, we have to have water and air and whatnot. Uh, but, but God is really the only substance that we're supposed to be addicted to, uh, as I see it. But, yeah. uh, so you're saying the jury is, is not any longer out on whether pot's harmful to the brain. It, it, you're saying it is harmful to the brain. Oh, it's definitely harmful to the brain. About maybe a year, year and a half ago, there was a great study that came out of Harvard and it showed that even people that were casual smokers, and I forget the exact, but I think it was smoking anywhere from three to five times a week, after just several months, showed significant changes to their brain chemistry, mm-hmm. even just for casual smokers. Wow. And we certainly see on spec scans and when people are more chronic, whether that's weekend users or over several years of their life, we see some significant uh, deleterious effects to their uh, the areas of the brain that are in charge of judgment, perception, decision-making, you know, uh, sort of remembering what's happened in past experiences. So as we try to remember, well, boy, the last time I smoked, I got pulled over for a DUI or I got in trouble with my girlfriend or, you know, that part of our brain when we use marijuana starts to get shut down. So that's why people that have substance abuse issues sometimes don't remember the consequences. We're like, well, don't you remember like six months ago when this happened to you? Doesn't that really impress upon you the need to stop well, that part of their brain is starting to get shut down. Yeah, That's one gone. of the you know, incredibly mm-hmm. scary and, and sad aspects of whenever we put these toxins into our brain, that, that organ that God's given us, that we're to be uh, in charge, good stewards of, and we're held responsible for our thoughts and decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that precious organ is now being contaminated by these substances that a person actually thinks are helping them, but really setting them up for a, a significant fall and, uh, and destruction in their life. We're going to take a quick break here. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent is Dr. Carl Benzio, the founder and director of Lighthouse Network, which is a national nonprofit ministry that develops faith-based behavioral health resources and connects struggling people to faith-based addiction and mental health treatment options. We're talking about marijuana and the child and how those two relate, what the effect of one is on the other. We'll be back with more conversation on Licensed to Parent in just a moment. Remember back in the late 80s and early 90s as the internet hit the scene? You know, the information superhighway? 
we had great hopes that this new knowledge economy would make our teens more aware, diversify their tastes, and improve their verbal skills. But the enlightenment didn't happen. Technology has had the opposite effect. What once promised great hope for the future is now used to indulge in diversions. The Dumbest Generation by Mark Bauerlein, subtitled How the Digital Age Stupefies Young Americans and Jeopardizes Our Future, or Don't Trust Anyone Under 30, presents a portrait of the young American mind at this critical juncture, revealing the true cost of the digital age and our last chance to fix it. The Dumbest Generation by Mark Bauerlein, available in the store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds benefit the Shepherd's Hill Academy Scholarship Fund. Hello, this is Dave Barton of Wall Builders. You know, history repeatedly validates the many benefits of an authentic biblical worldview. The Licensed to Parent radio broadcast helps restore that worldview back into the hearts and minds of today's parents, and Shepherd's Hill Academy successfully demonstrates that troubled teens and their parents can still experience the abundant life while being fully equipped to win back our culture to biblical truth. The Licensed to Parent broadcast teaches timeless biblical principles and answers that are lived out every day at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Both demonstrate that a biblical worldview provides guiding principles that work successfully every time they're applied. With the generous gifts from people just like you, we're able to provide parents with practical insights to navigate the challenges families face in today's culture, as well as helping troubled teens in our year-long residential program. To learn more and to donate, visit LicensedToParent.org. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent. Remember, you'll find us online at LicensedToParent.org. That's License to, as in the word to, not the number to, Parent.org. While there, you can uh, check out some of the other parenting topics that we've been discussing and also subscribe to Trace's uh, weekly blog. Again, LicensedToParent.org. And today we're talking with Dr. Carl Benzio. We're talking about marijuana use and how that impacts the child. And uh, that itself uh, is probably about 28 programs worth of material <laughs> that we could cover, but we're only doing it uh, in one step. Today, yeah, so, so the question, Carl, is, is does marijuana affect different people in different ways? Because we've all seen the classic burnout and the lethargic way in which you know they conduct themselves. And then there are those who claim to use it regularly who seem to be holding down you know, uh, responsible jobs, and they actually seem quite art articulate and intelligent. How do you explain that? You know, marijuana affects the brain, uh, but everybody's brain is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not all wired exactly the same. Right. We don't have the same temperaments, the same personalities. Uh, some are extroverts, some are introverts. Uh, some are a little bit more sensitive uh, and more prone to anxiety and more empathic to other people, and they absorb the pain of the world. And some are a little bit more callous, or it's easy for them to let uh, things roll off their back. Mm -hmm. And so with those different kind of temperaments and personality styles, uh, and then the wounding that a person goes through through the course of their life, um, you know, sort of sets up their brain chemistry in different ways. Uh, you know, classically, marijuana affects our our limbic areas, which are, are sort of our mood centers, uh, as well as sort of our prefrontal cortex, where uh, motivation, concentration, focus, energy are significant. So that classic burnout of not being motivated, not being able to concentrate, 
not being able to focus, uh, sort of lethargic, slow moving. You know, that's pretty typical of that prefrontal cortex and maybe limbic involvement. Now, you do have some people that are, are, are bright, that are motivated, you know, that are smoking. I think that when a person, you know, we certainly know that the brain is continuing to form up until age 25. So the, the earlier that you expose the brain to these kind of toxins, the more damage you're going to do. Mm. So for those people that start smoking later in life, um, you know, that's certainly better than smoking while the brain is forming, just like we don't want women to use cigarettes or uh, things whenever the baby's in uterus so that as the brain is developing, well, that brain development is continuing all the way through age 25. Um, so I think different skill sets that a person brings in, what is the frequency um, today, especially what is the potency of the marijuana, especially with some of the synthetic, it's about anywhere from seven to 20 times stronger than what it used to be in the 60s and 70s. So some yeah. of those people that are that are still smoking, um, you know, in their 50s and 60s, some of them are still using that old sort of weaker weed that used to be around in the uh, 60s and 70s, whereas some of the younger people that are smoking or getting into the synthetic uh, marijuana are smoking with such potency and strength and, and toxicity to the marijuana. I think that's where you get some of the disparaging differences. Mm -hmm. What are some of the uh, signs parents need to look for if they suspect their child smoking pot? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's something we're all afraid of. You know, as parents, is our, is our kid, uh, you know, doing something that we don't know about? Uh, you know, and so we're always sort of trying to uncover uh, without being a, a detective or without being a narcotics agent, you know, how do we really look in and assess? And, mm -hmm. you know, for me, you know, the biggest one is, is there change? You know, do you notice any change in anything, change in their appearance, uh, change in their hygiene, uh, change in their attitude, rebelliousness, oppositional? Uh, we have to keep in mind that adolescence is a time of change, and every day they're changing physically, psychologically, emotionally. But you also want to keep it in tune to, you know, are there some negative changes, you know, that are occurring with their peer group, uh, with their academic performance, uh, their ability to be responsible, Certainly looking at, you know, do they have bloodshot eyes? You know, are they, do they have a little bit of a cough? Mm -hmm. um, do they get the munchies, you know, after they come in from, uh, yeah. you know, hanging out with their, with their friends uh, in the evening? So there's just some of those acute elements of just being in a fog. Weight gain. Uh, sometimes weight gain, they become a little bit more sedentary and there's a little bit of weight gain with mm -hmm. marijuana use. Uh, so there's those acute elements, but then uh, usually they're, they're changing their attitude. Do they want to get involved in, you know, maybe they played sports and now they don't really care very much yeah. for sports. So they played an instrument and they're giving that up. So when you see changes, we always want to be in dialogue with our child, but, you know, we want to be able to start to, you know, hey, I, I noticed uh, this. Can you, you know, share with me a little bit why that, you know, you're not as interested in football or, um, you know, not looking to take that extra course or, you know, whatever sure. their interests were. Yeah. Once a teen is, is a smoking pot semi-regularly, uh, and doesn't really want to stop. What advice do you have for a parent at that point? You know, that's a that's a difficult one. Um, you know, you you want to uh, keep lines of communication open. You know, we want to be in communication with our with our child. Mm -hmm. We want to share with them well, what have we noticed different about them. You know, what have we noticed spiritually different, psychologically different, uh, emotionally different, relationally, and any physiological things that we've noticed. You know, we want to raise their awareness of the harm that they're doing to themselves. Uh, certainly legal issues, uh, but also the, the more subtle psychological, spiritual, uh, relational issues. Um, hopefully they can be willing to assess and reflect on those. But if they can't, then we need to be able to 
start to say no to certain things and start to impose restrictions. Sure. And, you know, as I parent, um, I usually give privileges based on skills. So when my child shows me that they have skills, delay gratification, resisting temptation, right. self-discipline, self-control, I want to give them, I love to give them privileges and, and see them excel and, and grow into who God wants them to be. But when they show me that they don't have skills in certain areas, then I need to restrict uh, certain privileges yeah. or certain opportunities that uh, their peers might have or they might have had in the past based on their uh, my lack of trust in them being able to uh, handle those situations in a healthy way, both for their own health and well-being, as well as for maybe their peers or other people around them. Yeah. And hopefully that starts to perk up their ears, that the seriousness that I'm taking this activity and the seriousness they need to take this activity for them to you know, hopefully develop some understanding and some change. Mm -hmm. And I'd also want to be able to do some, whether family therapy or individual therapy of them seeing somebody with the idea that they're using this because they're looking to self-medicate something. Yeah. They're not able to deal with either stress, pressure, growing up, moving forward in a healthy way. They need some help in that process. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes they can get it from me, but sometimes just having a, you know, an outside source, a coach, sort of a neutral person, not the policeman that's their parent, uh, be that person they can talk to to hopefully develop some stress management skills. And I can be part of that, that therapy process sure. and helping them really understand who they are and grow to who God's uh, built them and designed them and has planned for them to be. Yeah. Carl, I uh, I rub shoulders a little bit with uh, directors of, of other residential programs. Uh, who tell me the same thing. Uh, we have Christian parents who, who are enrolling their kids at, at a place like Shepherd's Hill or any of the others around the country who um, actually uh, provide marijuana and, and, and alcohol for their kids. I mean, talking Christian people. And then enroll their, their child in a, in a program like this. What would you like to say to the parent who's willing to purchase their child's alcohol or pot and is even willing to drink and smoke it with him. You know, that's, uh, you know, I, I hear the same thing. Unfortunately, I see in my office, we see it on our helpline when people call our, our helpline. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just sad that uh, parents don't have an understanding of what's good for their own health mm -hmm. and their own spiritual and psychological well-being, um, but especially for their kids' health. And, uh, and I would say that, hey, look, there's hope. Even though things look dismal, and they look like, uh, you know, you're losing your child and, and you feel the only way to, to keep a connection to them is to uh, give in uh, to their worldly desires and their fleshly needs. Um, you know, there's hope in the power of God to move in your life and in their life in incredible ways. I mean, I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in many other people's lives that I've treated and, and been blessed to be part of. So to be able to get with your Sunday school teacher, your pastor, um, other people in your church to pray for you, to encourage you, but to help give you some lenses of reality to be able to help yourself see you in the way that God's made you and to see your opportunity to influence your child. We don't control our children, but as parents, we have significant influence, but we need to know how to exert that influence in a godly, healthy way to help our child engage God and engage in that transformational process. Amen. Dr. Carl Benzio is our guest today on Licensed to Parent, the founder and director of Lighthouse Network, a national nonprofit ministry that develops faith-based behavioral health resources and connects struggling people to faith-based addiction and mental health treatment options. Among other resources, he also writes a unique daily devotional called Stepping Stones that you can find at lighthousenetwork.org. Carl, thanks so much for being on the program Thank today. You, we really appreciate it. 
Hey, great. Thanks for having me, guys. Keep up the great work. Thank you. And this is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a Christ-centered year-long residential program for teens in crisis. You can learn more about the work of Shepherds Hill, dig into some of our other parenting topics, and check out Trace's blog on our website, licensedtoparent.org. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you back again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.